how's it going everyone? This is Reed and welcome to an episode of Confidently Anxious, where I reflect with people who are driven with expression and creative process to ultimately connect with others in their own unique way. Though we may feel anxious when we let our guards down and put ourselves out there, it is the confidence in doing so that allows us to truly grow and unite together. So please feel free to join as we learn through the beautiful and intentionally vulnerable art that is conversation. My guest today is one of my closest friends, someone I consider my brother, Andre Grigrenko. Andre is a growing architect who decided to pursue the art on a whim at the University of Texas at Austin School of Architecture. He then took his career into his own hands by becoming one of the youngest licensed architects in the United States. He's also a musician under the stage name Like the Giant, with which he released an EP titled Lost and a number of singles, with his most recent being TWTYM. Andre is originally from Ukraine, but moved to Highland Park, Texas, where he was raised from the young age of four. This is all just scratching the surface as Andre pursues many different interests, ranging from improv to NFTs, along with being an insightful, well-intentioned person. You can find him on Spotify at Like the giant and on instagram at andre underscore like the giant now with that being said let's get to the show let's talk about the most recent song you released twtym when we were hanging out watching bo burnham's inside i asked you about sort of the art that he was going for and the dread he was feeling from finishing a project and i asked if you felt that whenever you released your song but you mentioned that you didn't really care about your song that much what do you mean by that? And what does that say about where you are currently as a musician? Great question. A good way to start it off, I think. Um, we were watching that podcast. Yeah. And like you said, Bo Burnham really did something amazing with that, uh, with that piece of work, like a real work of art inside. Um, and I think that, I guess I've been making music for a long time now, but I really just started getting serious about it maybe two years ago. And whenever I first released my, my EP, that was something that I had to learn a lot on, work a lot towards, and I did care about that a lot. I put so much effort into that, and I really cared about how it was received. And then since then, I released like one, like two sing singles, I think, and some other covers and stuff. But um, something I've been kind of realizing is that it doesn't, the the way it's received doesn't matter as much because it's really about the process, right? You want to, I really enjoy the process of making music and, and then making that and then putting it out in the world. And a lot of people will market it a lot, which I think is important, but I'm not as good at that portion of it. Um, so yeah, with this one, I just kind of released it and I don't think I cared that much to... I don't know, get super invested in it because I just want to move on to the next thing, if that makes sense. Mm. So as you go from song to song, you're not positioning each song to sort of advance yourself further from a production or even a performance standpoint. Mm, what do you mean by that? Like sort of, I guess, if you have sort of a vision of where you want to go in your mm -hmm. musical career, then it would make sense that some people might want to be putting those building blocks on with each song they do and they want to craft it in like a very uh, precise way to contribute to towards that vision. But yeah. it sounds like you're not really caring about the vision all that much. No, I think that what I'm trying to say isn't that exactly, but once you release the song, it's finished. 
You yeah. really can't go back and change it anymore. It's not like you're advancing your vision creatively. You're actually just trying to market your music at that point, which is incredibly important. It's something I'm not very good at. Um, I wish I was better at it. That follow-up of actually getting people to listen to what I'm doing. But I'm, I guess at this point in my career, more interested in, I guess my musical, I wouldn't say career even, but my musical hobby. Um, just more interested in making the music and then moving on to the next thing as compared to really building something that's going to maybe stand for everything I think. Because I just don't think I'm there yet. I'm focused on the next step and trying to grow because I, I don't think that I'm at the skill level I want to be yet. There's just so much to learn with the music production side of things that, um, I mean, I've only started doing it seriously two years ago. I'm still trying to develop my own sound and figure out what that, what that looks like. Um, so yeah, I think with this past song, I'm happy with it. I think it's, it's the best production wise that I've made so far, but I'm learning to not be too attached to the things that I do. Uh, because once it's out there, it's out there and you just move on to the next thing. And, and that's cool. Like, I don't, I don't need to dwell on that and think that this one thing summarizes me up as a person because I'm more than that, you know? Interesting. I really like that approach actually. So do you feel like that's kind of allowed you to, um, like have more creative juices flowing and kind of just like take some, uh, pressure off of yourself, I guess, so that you can allow yourself to just learn what you need to learn and then progress from there. Definitely. The pressure thing for sure. It allows me to just play more and not be so um, serious about the stuff that I'm doing because at the end of the day, it's just a song that some amateur producer made in his living room, you know? So it's not that big of a deal. It's not It's not going to be the end all end of, of all things worldly. You know, it's it's just something I'm working on that I have fun doing and, and I'm working towards the next step and I'm excited to see where that goes as a whole. Um so yeah, just these days I'm trying to learn to take myself less seriously and not be so, um, I don't know, not be so serious. Nice, man. I really like that. And you kind of alluded it to it earlier, but how does that compare with your EP, which is titled Lost, that you released a couple years ago um, from a serious standpoint and just sort of what you were trying to get out of that EP compared to the type of stuff that you put out now? I think that there is a big difference because... For all my life, I actually really wanted to make my own music. And whenever COVID hit, I actually had the opportunity to do that because I had a lot more free time. So I finally decided to take that opportunity and, and just do something. Put out one piece of work that I would be happy with. And I think I did that. I, I think that that EP was still, I mean, lacking in a lot of ways, but it's something I'm really proud of because it's something I did myself. I think I spent like 2,000 hours just learning the software and learning Damn. different plugins and recording the songs. And I wrote something like 60 different songs of which I chose those four. Um, a lot of them were really shitty songs, to be totally clear. <laughs> you have to write a lot of really shitty songs to get a single good one. Um but with that, it, I had a different mentality because I was I wanted to produce one thing that I could look back on and be proud of. And now that I've finished that and I have that one thing, I want to be able to move on to other things. And those other things aren't being taken as seriously because I know that I'm going to keep doing this. It's not just like a one and done thing. With Lost, I thought it might be just one and done. I thought I might do it and never come back to making music again. Now Damn. that I see that I like it and I want to keep doing it, it's just not as serious for me. It's, it's something that I can treat more as a fun project as compared to something that's trying to define me as a person. So your EP was more of like your expression, leaving everything out on the table, putting yourself out there in a really big way for kind of the first time. And then after you did that, 
now all that seriousness has kind of been put put aside and now you're just um, messing around with things. With an album or an EP, it's different because you want all the songs to work together. You want people to listen start to finish. You're trying to make a statement. Whereas with a single, you can kind of just put something out there and if it doesn't work, whatever, you move on to the next thing. You don't need to have cohesive signals or whatever. You can really change your sound a lot, which gives you a lot of freedom. What about creative process then compared to just recently when you released your single? I'm curious what that looked like when you're making your EP back in 2020, a lot different of a time. You're 24, just coming off of a breakup, four songs. It started with an idea. Can you take me from the beginning of how that idea came about, the intention you set, and how action followed suit all the way up until the end of finishing your EP? Yeah, I would love to talk about that. Um, the It's funny because I don't know if I had an intention at the beginning. I think it came together as I was working, which happens to me a lot. It's very rare for me to, to have one intention and then be like, okay, this is what I'm trying to strive for. More often what happens is I kind of get some vague inspiration on something and then I start working and then that that something evolves and it kind of grows into something else mm. which is I think really great so it's titled Lost and all the songs kind of you know work together to talk about how I felt at the time where I was just finishing college <clears throat> going into grad school and didn't really know what to do with myself. You know, I was successful in school, successful in whatever I was doing, but I didn't really know how to feel about myself as a person. And so, as I said, I wrote a lot of songs. I wrote something like 60 different songs that I have on my computer somewhere. A lot of them were just, you know, bits of songs, not even complete songs. But the I those four that I, I chose... I remember the first one that I wrote, Treat You Like a Prayer, I think I was with my parents. I was, I was, I had a few drinks and I was feeling kind of melancholy. And so I just walked, left my parents. I went to the piano and I started messing around and I kind of came up with the chorus, which I really liked. And I recorded a voice memo of it. I have it on my phone somewhere. And, and the feeling associated with it let me know that that was going to be a good song. So I kept that one, but then it was different because with, with, um, the, a different song, I remember my favorite one on the album is called, um, Adoring Mine. And that one I wrote in maybe an hour. It was really quick. Damn. Uh, not, not the whole thing. I just wrote the, the basic part and the melody. I, I wrote the lyrics later, but the basic part came together in, in an hour. It was really quick. I didn't have to force it much. And I, I really liked it. So it hit you in the moment, kind of like it would a poet or something like that. That one was one of the songs that I, I wrote. You know, I wrote one song a day for a while and I just really liked that one. So I put a star by it and I would come back and listen to it sometimes. And, and then I went back and edited it and it took me, you know, a few days to work on, to mm. put it all together, maybe three days. Some of those other songs took me, you know, a month to, to make and, and produce and everything because I was learning the software. I, I still am learning it, you know. Um, but all in all, you know, it evolved as it was happening. I never had a clear intention. I just knew that I wanted to learn to do this better. I wanted to, 
be able to make my own music and I wanted to make something I was proud of. And it's all about intuition, I think. Uh, with music especially, you just have to start. You get something that sounds cool and then you use your intuition, you add something else that sounds cool and then you do something else and maybe it doesn't sound very cool. So you cut it out and you, and you try something else. And with this one, it just seems like the intuition led me pretty well. And I liked how it came together. And it's still one of those songs I go back to and listen to. Whereas some of my other stuff I don't even listen to. You know? <laughs> I mean, why would I? <laughs> so. Um, okay, so compared to now with the song that you just released, is it similar process? Because I know you're learning a ton and putting it out. But it seems like you're not as attached as you were to your EP. So how does that change in your creative process? I think that now... It's more about experimenting. I'm more interested in experimenting with new stuff I haven't done before. So I'm really trying to work with more people, different musicians, instead of doing everything myself, get some other people involved and, and see what that feels like and get their intuition and compare it to mine. Um, and I'm more interested in the process now for the sake of playing and having fun and experimenting as compared to making something that's really going to influence the world or, yeah. or express myself deeply yeah. because that's great, you know, but I just, there's a curiosity that I have towards music production in general and just the world, you know, um, yeah. which is exciting for me. So, no, I really love that you touch on that because a lot of people, they get caught up in the idea of something and, um, they get so wrapped up in the idea or expressing themselves in this big way. And it can be really ego driven and kind of take away from, the production from the creative process which is what a lot of the beauty inside of the music is so that's a really good mature um distinction that i think you're making well that's something that i've been growing through as well i don't think i started there you know yeah. at the start i was just like i want to make beautiful music and that's it and now <laughs> i'm realizing that the music i make is you know it's it's good and I enjoy it, but there's also so much to grow in, you know? Uh, this one quote that I really like, I think I might have told it to you before, but it's from this author. I can't remember her name. She wrote the book Wild, I believe. Mm. But she wrote, she talked about, she talked about it one time in an interview and she said, to be a good artist, you have to embrace your own mediocrity because everything you do to yourself is always going to be mediocre. And that to me was kind of funny because... You know, even if you do make something really great, you know all the imperfections in it and you know like what you were going through as you were making that. So to you, it is pretty mediocre. It's hard to really accept your own your own music or your own art or writing mm. whatever as something great. Whereas to somebody else, your level of mediocre might be really fantastic. So that's something I'm, I'm working through as well, embracing my own mediocrity and just having fun with it and not caring so much about the outcome, but really enjoying that process. Damn, that's a really... Interesting quote. I haven't heard that before. I actually had a series of questions planned for the end of this, but this kind of pairs well naturally with what you just said. Um, going off of that, when have you been extremely proud of yourself? Mm, that's a good question. Let me think for a second. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> it is. I got it from our boy Tim Ferriss <laughs> on the Aisha Taylor Tyler um, podcast. That's great. I love Tim Ferriss. Shout out to you, Tim, if you ever listen to this. <laughs> uh, that'd be great. Because it is really easy as an artist to get overly critical of yourself and lose sight of the proudness of what you're doing and build off of that. Because we do learn a lot from failure and we do learn a lot from critiques or well-thought feedback. But you can learn a lot from being proud as well. 
I totally agree. Um, that's actually something that I, I would say I struggle with because <clears throat> I think maybe on the outside, some of the things I do can be perceived as impressive or can be perceived as, you know, do, done well. But but I don't often feel that level of pride that you might be talking about or, or that some people might, I guess, think about. I remember finishing undergrad, finishing grad school. I didn't even think about that twice. I was like, okay, well, whatever. I graduated. Damn. Let's move on. I didn't even, I didn't think about that. Same with my architecture license. I thought that I would feel much more, um, just perhaps like a damn proud. nice one, Andre. Yeah, exactly. I thought I'd be like, wow, Andre, you were working towards this for like 10 years or whatever. <laughs> You're done. But really I was just like, okay, whatever. Let's move on. What's the next thing I got going here? That's insane. Cause you crushed it in like a couple months and it's supposed to take years to do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I don't, I don't know that that's exactly the healthiest mentality to have, <laughs> but, um, yeah, same with music as well. I mean, recently I've just been feeling like, okay, cool. I did this. Let's move on. Let's keep, keep growing, keep, keep working. Again, I think it's really important to take those times and say, Hey, look how far I've come. I don't know if I do that enough. I should do it more often, but, um, yeah, I think that's, that's all I'll say. No, I totally relate with, you know, kind of struggling to find those moments of being proud of yourself. And I wonder what that is. Maybe it's because it's associated with being a little ego driven in a way. So maybe another way to look at it is like, what would God be proud of? I guess in some sense. Totally. I think, I think you're right. It's, as I said, not a super healthy mentality to have. I think we should take time to to be proud of the things that we've done and, and to reflect on where, like, you know, where we've come from. Um, but whenever you are, you don't take time for that. It is a big ego thing. Cause you're just driving to the next thing. You're, you're not acknowledging, you know, where you've come from. So, yeah. Which kind of correlates with having to pump your own reasoning all the time, um, into life instead of it kind of being filled and sustainable. So totally. So we talked about your architecture license a bit, and before we get into architecture and design and sort of your experience with that, I want to end off talking about music with what is the difference between an artist who wants to and is open to explore that musical production side compared to one that focuses more on performance and sort of rides that out as far as their interest or career takes them? That is a great question. Uh, I've been thinking about that a little bit recently. And it also actually ties into the architecture side a little bit because producing music is actually very technical. It's very detail-oriented, whereas performing is really an expression. You're expressing yourself and, and you're working at a skill, and then as you get better at that skill, you're better at expressing um, yourself and emotion and all of that. And... I started performing as in playing instruments and music back when I was probably in fifth grade. I think that's when I picked up guitar. Like that was like 16 years ago, forever ago. Um, and I got pretty good at guitar. And then I started learning to sing. And that for me was a really big challenge. Uh, I started learning to sing whenever I was a junior in high school. I must have been 16 years old. So I've been singing for about eight years now. I'm 26. And you were trash. I was not very good. <laughs> I was really, really, really bad. 
I think you've heard some of my really early uh, videos. I and I posted that stuff on YouTube too. I remember I was a junior. I was posting videos of me singing and playing guitar, and the guitar was actually really good. I'm, I sometimes I look back to those; they're all private now. But I look <laughs> back to those, and I'm like, "Dang, Andre, that's an impressive guitar work right there." I can't even play guitar that well anymore because I, I don't play guitar the same way. Damn. Um, but I remember when I first started, I really was interested in that performance side. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to play for people. I really want, I love the emotion in, in somebody's voice. And I wanted to be able to replicate that and do that for somebody else and, and express myself in that way. That was so, so exciting to me. So I started working on it and I, I think I'm at least now at a place where I'm comfortable with my voice. I'm still growing a lot with it um, because it's, it's a really challenging thing, but I'm finally at an, at a place where I'm comfortable with my voice to where I can sing the way that I want to. I kind of know what notes I can hit and what I can't hit and all that. Anyways, back to your original question. The performance side is all about emotion, expression, and it's about being in the moment and letting everything out. You know, you're not thinking about the past, not thinking about the future. You're really just performing and hoping to convey that emotion to somebody else. Connecting to the audience in a direct way. Absolutely. Connecting to the audience Whereas production is very different. Um, and production is what I've been doing for the past two years now, and I really, really like it. I think it's because of my architecture background as well. I don't, I haven't performed in years, not since COVID. So it's been about three years since I played anywhere live um, because I've just been so interested in the behind the scenes work. You're orchestrating songs and you're making that experience, but you're doing it in a very methodical way i'm really interested in how i guess the analytics of everything how certain processes or processes vocal processing chains or just audio processing chains will influence the sound to make it different and to maybe convey a different emotion that way so it is you're thinking a lot about the future you're thinking a lot about okay how do i plan this out so that i can get a really sweet drop for example mm. or how do i build tension to where whenever that release happens in the chorus people are like wow people let go of the tension they were feeling in the build-up so you're planning you're planning a ton and you're working sounds in so they don't they don't clash with each other etc and you're writing the music you're writing the lyrics and you're thinking what's valuable and, and and how can you also play there? So I'm kind of getting to a rambling state now, but all that together, You're feeling it, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, all that together is really, really exciting to me, and I enjoy doing it. So I think I'm going to keep producing, probably more so than performing for the next, at least short term to midterm. But eventually, I'd like to go back to just performing. Interesting. It, yeah, that's how I started, and that's what I, that's what I love to do. Something that. <clears throat> Excuse me. This coffee is actually making me um, more. Dude, um, it's Functional Mushroom Coffee by Laird Hamilton. It's fucking sick. No way. Yeah. It's got like chaga, it, lion's mane. Is it caffeinated as well? Yeah. That's and, awesome. And it's like cold press from Peru and stuff. So Wow. Fun fact, um, I haven't had 
caffeine at all this week, and I know you do a similar thing. Um, so kind of saving it more for a performance aspect and using it for that instead of just desensitizing all the time. Heck yeah. That's awesome. I haven't cut out caffeine completely. I wish I could. Oh, really? I thought you said you stopped drinking coffee. Mm -mm. I just, uh, Mm. Mickey has, I think he's trying to, Vlad has, Vlad has, yeah, Vlad's done that really well, but I've just, um, cut down a lot, which has been helpful. I used to do a ton of coffee. (laughs) That's funny to say, do coffee (laughs) like a drug. It is a drug. Anybody listening, caffeine is a drug. It's the heaviest drug you're all under the influence of. Super. This stuff is insane. I forgot what I was going to say, so let's just move on. (laughs) I had some other point, but I moved on, so. Yeah, let's just, you want to move on? Um, Yeah, I forgot what the, I had something else I wanted to say, and I forgot it now, so. um, By the way, if, uh, I'd love to get a sponsor from this coffee brand, so. (laughs) <laughs> maybe we can make that happen Laird Hamilton the legend so before we move on to architecture because fuck I, I just wanted to ask this question um, what's the distinction between sustainability in your opinion um, between an artist who focuses on production and performance because it seems like at least in the professional world that those artists who decide to get involved on the production side they last a lot longer and sort of expand their reach compared to those who kind of just focus more on their performance and then it kind of just dies out and they move on to something else. So you're, you're asking about the sustainability between those two? Yeah. Do you think it's crucial for those who want to stick around with music to maybe that's a little redundant, but to focus on that production piece? I don't think you have to focus on production. Some people never get into it and that's totally fine uh, because they're focused on other aspects. It's really challenging to be good at everything. Uh, Something I find in myself is that as I'm getting better at the production side, my performance side is getting worse. And then I'll focus on performing for a while and and like playing piano or playing guitar or singing more. And then I'm not doing as well production wise. So it's it's hard to balance everything. That's something I really struggle with, especially in music. Because as you're getting better somewhere else, you you're kind of deteriorating somewhere else. So a lot of people will only do one. A lot of people just produce and they don't perform at all. A lot of producers don't even know how to play instruments. Um, whereas some performers will never touch production side because there's a whole world of knowledge there that they're not interested in, which is fine. But regardless of what you're doing, sustainability, I think is what matters with sustainability is how your outlook on it. Because if you're only making music or whatever are you're working on. It could be writing, it could be poetry, whatever. If you're only working for the end goal to share that product with somebody, you're gonna have a hard time because that means you're really letting other people define your success. You know, if you only care about how people receive your music, you're not gonna be sustainable long-term because you're gonna burn out so fast. You have to enjoy the process because you have to be at a point to where even if nobody listens to your music, even if nobody cares at all, which is going to be the reality for most people, you know, uh, you're doing it because you enjoy doing it, not because you're trying to get famous, not because you're trying to, I don't know, get some sort of renown uh, or share that with everybody. You just need to like what you're doing. So sustainability wise, that is crucial. 100%. And just because we watched it recently, Bo Burnham's Inside um, shows that a lot. 
shows that it's not sexy on the other side of things, but it looks great in the performance piece, but that creative process is so crucial and that's the unsexy side, at least on the surface. But once you dive in and you start to really love what that process looks like. Exactly. It's not that sexy. That's a good way to put it. But you have to love that part as well. You know, even those little details of sitting there as you're editing this podcast, you're going to be sitting there for hours just cutting stuff out and thinking about how to organize this. And turn the lights off. Yeah, turn the, the lights blinds. off. Get those, get those <laughs> headphones on. Um, and that's what you have to love. You have to love the elements that are not, that are behind the scenes. And some of them are more fun than others. I mean, it's cool if you, for example, in my production, I hate editing vocals. I hate it. Mm. I think it's so Why? boring. I like the production side of vocals. I like making them sound cool, but going through and, and like cutting out all the breaths and then cutting out all of the dead space and then like auto or like fine tuning it's like really tedious things here and there. It's so tedious and it's just boring. Uh, and it's fine <laughs> to have things like that because the rest of it I really enjoy, you know, but there's always going to be things in, in the creative process that you don't enjoy as much, but you have to do to make a better final product. Mm. So with instruments, since it's more, I guess, clear cut, you don't have to deal with all that. With instruments, I mean, I just play it. Uh, with any vocal take, like any recording that's actually live with a microphone, you're going to have things in the background that you need to cut out. It's just little things that are not super inspiring. You know, it's mm -hmm. literally cutting out breaths. You go through the entire track, you cut out every single breath, and you move it to a new track, and then you, it takes you like 10 minutes or whatever. It's a waste of my 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So coming from someone who majored in science, what got you interested in and why stay interested in architecture? I didn't major in science. Fuck. What was, I thought it was biology. Nope. Uh, I, started, I started school doing pre-med. I did not finish school doing pre-med. I started university as an engineering major, and I also was doing pre-med, and I switched to architecture on a whim. Damn. Yeah, I switched because I got really inspired, actually. It was it was because my mom invited me to an opera with her. I was starting college. She had these opera tickets. I went with her to the Winspear Opera House by an architect named Norman Foster. And that opera house absolutely blew me away. That was the first time I'd ever stepped inside a building and realized that somebody spent time designing this and somebody made me realize the power of design. Like somebody made a space that was beautiful enough for me to notice it. And I really wanted to do that myself. I said so the next day I just went home and I switched my major because Damn. I was really inspired. And I thought, you know what? I want to try to do this. I didn't ask my parents and they were pissed because <laughs> um, they wanted me to be an engineer. But looking back, being an engineer for me would have been boring. I think it's a great profession, but yeah, I would not have enjoyed it as much. So what did the design look like in the opera house? Um, you'll have to see it. It's here in Dallas. Um, if you ever have a chance, hard to explain just through talking about it, but the main auditorium is shaped almost like a globe on the inside. So what if you're on the first floor, you have these balconies that are overhanging. And I remember this really beautiful chandelier, which can like go up and down. It was super modern. I don't think the specifics of the design were that important. What was important to me was the fact that I noticed it. Whereas architecture is a subconscious art. The whole point of architecture 
usually it's for you not to notice it. But every now and then you see something really beautiful and you stop in your tracks and you say, wow, that is an element of beautiful design. So yeah, that to me was really inspiring. So you were inspired on the type of feel that it gave you and the tone it set within the atmosphere for everyone who walked in it kind of. Yes, exactly. Uh, it was a space that was different than most other spaces. Usually space is just regular. It's designed to where you don't see it. But with the with an opera house, and opera houses in general, are designed to be more magnificent or beautiful. And I think I've talked with you about this privately before, but uh, I'm really interested in the idea of replication. I really love seeing something and if I think it's cool, I want to be able to do that myself. I want to learn to replicate it. And that was an example of that. I saw, I was in this opera house. It was beautiful. And I said, dang, this made me stop in my tracks. I want to be able to do this for somebody else. I wonder how this person was able to do that. And so then going in and learning the process of like, what makes architecture good and, and understanding that. And of course, which all of which I learned in school, that to me is really exciting. Dang, that's a very interesting point on replication because there is a lot of originality that you can't do in replication. I'm just trying to expand on that question a little more compared to somebody who doesn't really think about replication and how that works in there. Um, well, replication is funny because I remember as I was in architecture school, we make a lot of drawings. A big part of, of school is, is making beautiful drawings because you're not actually building buildings, so you have to make nice drawings. <coughs> Under his throat is trash. <laughs> I, especially the coffee. Since I don't drink coffee much, it goes my throat in a weird way. Oh. <laughs> and that is a sexy thing to keep on the podcast. <laughs> um, no, but you make a lot of drawings. And I, and I noticed there were beautiful drawings and I wanted to imitate them as best as possible. So I gave myself a task of trying to replicate the drawing style exactly. And what's funny is that I couldn't do it. Because as you start doing something, there's two things that happen. First of all, your skill level, my skill level in Photoshop was not developed enough to where I could physically make a drawing that was that beautiful or exactly what my inspiration drawing was. So my skill level was not there. And second of all, my intuition was different. So as I started trying to replicate exactly as I could this Photoshop drawing, I noticed that my drawing looked a little bit different and that was cool because that meant it was my own unique take on it. It was my own unique style associated with some inspiration I was looking at. And I think the same goes for anything you try to replicate, whether it be music or, or art or architecture or whatever. If you try to replicate something, you're going to intuitively put your own spin on it just because it's your own hand, you know? So it's not like a I don't think it's, I don't look at it as copying or something that's not inspired, but actually it's just a starting point and then you make it your own, which I think is really cool. Yeah, no, that's actually a really great distinction to make that it's not copying. It's sort of just taking that connective inspiration you had from another idea and then building upon that to make it your own. Totally. And, and building on other people's ideas is, is great because we all think we're super smart and everything, but really... We're all connected. <laughs> yeah, we're, we are. We're connected and, and we building on other people's work is fantastic. Um, it's just going to give you better work in the, in the end game, you know? So, yeah, that seems like a common theme with people who are massively successful is they always have their list of key influencers or inspirations and you can kind of see how they filled um, whatever they decided to create. 
Definitely. Having inspiration is crucial. Having people you look up to and you want to imitate or you want to be more like is incredibly important for your own art, whatever that might be. For the record, we say art. We've been saying art a lot in this podcast. Yeah. It's funny because I've never thought of myself as an artist and I still don't. Uh, nor do I really think of myself as a musician, whereas I think I should. Uh, <laughs> Art's very broad. It, it is. It's it's just a hard term to assign to yourself as well because there's this huge imposter syndrome. You know, mm. uh, Whenever you're de- working on something, it's hard to, to label yourself as, as that person. I remember whenever I was younger... Back in like college, I tried to write a lot, and like, at what point do you label yourself a writer? You know, like yeah, you have to like when you're successful. It's like it's kind of unclear, I guess. Exactly, it is. It's unclear, and a lot of people have a lot of imposter syndrome with that as well. Myself included. Whenever I was doing it, uh, whereas like, why would I call myself a writer when I haven't written anything good? Like I, I I've written stuff, but it's not any good. So. Same with mm. being a musician or being an artist or, or anything. It's it's hard to label yourself or something. So That's very interesting because at what point do you identify with it enough to where you're like, yeah, I do this. Like I'm not a podcaster right now. I don't feel like I well, have you enough are. under my belt. Yeah, I guess I guess I feel that way. <laughs> exactly. It's hard for you to say I'm a podcaster. Yeah. Like you, you are a podcaster just because you do it. Mm. Uh, but identity is such a weird thing. The way we perceive ourselves is such a strange thing. But... Now that you started doing it, now you're a podcaster, and that's okay to say. You might not be a successful podcaster yeah, yet. Yeah, exactly. Or but, consistent yet. Or consistent <laughs> yet, but you're a podcaster because you do that thing. Um, that's a good point. So it, it's hard to sometimes identify with the things that we do because we feel like we're not good enough at them yet. Yeah. But that's okay because, you know. And we don't have to be all or nothing. We don't have to lump ourselves into like one form of identity like that. Totally. I mean, your identity is such a big topic in general. Like the way that we think about ourselves, I don't think it's a good thing to ever think of ourselves as just one entity, right? You don't want to think of yourself as just a musician or just yeah. a podcaster because if that ever gets taken away from you, suddenly you've lost you're your identity. You're done. Yeah. Yeah, you're gone. So you have to, you have to have an identity of yourself just as who you are. Uh, just saying, hey, I'm a creative maybe, and I also do this for work, and I'm a husband, and I'm a father or a son or whatever it is. Um, I love thinking of life that way, of having like multiple different outlets that you sort of pour yourself into, so you have different streams of meaning, just like you would with different streams of income with your finances. It's Definitely. kind of the same way to balance out mental health and, I don't know, expand your perspective on things. Absolutely. Um you're so right. Just having a broad sense of like who you are is really important. Just knowing that, hey, I am, I am me first and foremost. Uh, I am Andre. And after that, I might be a musician or an architect or whatever else. How does architecture and design actually relate with musical production? Even like what's the difference between architecture and design actually? Yeah, I, I can t- tackle both of those. The first one is production especially you're very literally creating space. Architecture is all about creating space. And with production, you have a stereo field in the right and left headphone or right and left monitor, wherever you are. You're very literally putting sounds into space and you can put them closer or farther. You can put them right or left. And then you can change the frequency uh, frequency spectrum. So the equalization is different frequencies, which helps you to position it further or closer. So it's three-dimensional, really interesting. Uh, if you ever go to 8D tunes or something on YouTube, you can see, you can actually feel that space in your headphone stereo field, which is pretty cool. Um, 
so that's that's one thing you're you're creating and you're organizing the same way architects just organize and they and they plan you're not actually building anything as an architect you're just designing in the same way with with music and production you are orchestrating organizing creating planning arranging um all of that but also to touch on music and architecture there's actually a lot of really key distinctions uh, and, and uh, i'm sorry not distinctions similarities we as humans um we feel rhythm really strongly and we see that in architecture and in music both so in music obviously the beat uh we can kind of associate ourselves with that in the kick drum and, and the snare and, and the rhythm section same with architecture think about the rhythm of columns as you walk down a colonnade and how um the repetitive nature of that is there or another comparison could be timbre uh timbre in music is the sound or maybe the uh the emotion that comes from that instrument and you have similarities in architecture as well, in in material qualities and texture. So texture in a sound versus texture in architecture. Like think about concrete. You can have really rough concrete, uh, or you can have really smooth concrete. It's the same material, but a different texture. With music, you can have the exact same thing. You can have a sine wave versus a square wave versus a saw wave. All those are synthesizer waves, uh, and it changes the way the sound feels texture-wise. It can be really grainy, or it can be super silky smooth. There's a lot of similarities in the way that we use those elements, both in architecture and in music, which I find super exciting, which is why I like production. Dang. That was great. <laughs> I feel like that visualized it really well for me. Nice. I hope so. There's architecture. I'm so passionate about that. I love it. And people don't understand it very well, truly. Uh, it's kind of underappreciated in the States. In Europe, it's actually understood much better. But in the States, we have a different idea about it. A good comparison to architecture is cooking. This is an analogy that I've, I've seen a lot in with, with some professors I've had before. The way that you cook, you have all these different materials and ingredients, and separately, they're just different materials, you know? But when you put them together, you can make this really delicious dish. In the same way with architecture, you have different materials. You could have stone and concrete and wood, and they're all, you know, separate on their own. But then when you organize them in, in this beautiful way and then have that garnish on top with like a lime wedge, you know, mm. you're, you're garnishing maybe a little bit of steel in just the right place, and you make this beautiful composition, and... And all that is subconsciously influencing your actions. And that's what architecture does. Uh, this coffee is really getting to me, by the way. Over-caffeinated. <laughs> Dude, I'm over telling here. you, this functional mushroom. This functional mushroom shit. coffee is, is amazing. It's different, too, because you're not wired. Like, you're, you feel like, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit wired, for sure. Um, but architecture, yeah, it's, it's, it influences how we live. It's crazy because... The way the architecture you grow up in will change how you grow up. It'll change your relationship with your parents. It could, you could literally, yeah. yeah, all of that influences you so much and people don't think about it. So, yeah, I can relate with that a lot growing up in a smaller household, not because my parents couldn't afford a bigger house, but they just always preferred a smaller house because it kind of caused the family to grow up closer together because of that dynamic. Absolutely. I mean, think about if you grew up in a really big house where you had your own wing and your parents had your own wing, you're not crossing paths with them as much, right? You are actually just growing up more independently. But same with me, like in my household, we didn't have a ton of room. Uh, so if we were in the living room, our living room is literally like one big space, like the kitchen, living room, and my dad's office all in the same area. So we're kind of in the same place. And, you know, 
interacting with each other, bumping into each other more often. And that makes a more connected household as well, which is kind of cool to think about. Yeah, I, I noticed whenever, um, like, my friends in high school too, it's interesting because instead of going and hanging out at the big house all the time, people will come over to my house because it had that homey feel. And we could all just kind of, I don't know, it just felt more comfortable. Totally. Um, yeah. One one little story I'll, sh- I'll share about architecture and the power of how it influences you. I, I learned from a, a professor of mine, Larry Speck, uh, who I just love. I love Larry. I, I worked as a TA for him for a few years back in grad school. Um, and he told a story about an MIT study where people at MIT were looking back in the late 40s, they were looking at how World War II veterans would make friends. Uh, I might have told you this story before, I can't remember. But they were doing this study on how World War II veterans would make friends, and they had some theories. They were like, okay, maybe you know the vets are all going to, I don't know, rally together based on the squad they were in. Or maybe they'll make friends based on the major that they study. Like maybe all the engineers will get together and maybe all the communications majors will get together, etc. What they found was really interesting. Your social circle was primarily defined not by your hobbies or your interests or your studies or your occupation, whatever. People develop their social circles based on proximity. People who live closer together would become friends. And that makes a lot of sense. Like imagine, you know, you live in a dorm post-war or whatever, and you see your friend walking down the hall consistently and you just say, hey, in the hall, or maybe you're walking down the stairs and and you strike up a conversation and suddenly you say, hey, like I'm getting a cup of coffee. Do you want to come? You know, that's so easy to, to make friends that way. Whereas it's not as much about, I guess, things you're interested in. I, I found that to be super interesting. That's just one example of how architecture influences our lives. And I have a million more, but I'm not going to get into that. It's kind of similar to when we're in university compared to whenever you graduate and have your own house or your own apartment. It's like, I feel so much less connected to make friends. Yeah. You're in your own little world, which is cool in itself as well. You know? So you're going to Haiti soon on a mission trip, which I think is awesome. And we've talked about people who go on mission trips because they exaggerate a calling or sort of identification for maybe the wrong reasons. Can you describe how this came about and why you're going. Sure. Yeah. I have a friend who his name is Taylor and she told me she was going to Haiti with a group of people to do some dental work. I think that she is a dental hygienist and, and a group of them are going to this orphanage in the mountains to, to work on, you know, to help out. I have had a criticism of mission trips in the past being that I've had friends who've gone on mission trips and they just go for a week, they don't do very much, then they leave, but they get some cool photos and some content. And it's really more about them as compared to what the work they're, they're, they're doing. Don't get me wrong, they're doing good work over there, they're helping out, but a lot of it is unskilled labor. Um, so a lot of people will go to, on mission trips as just a regular person and they might help out, you know, maybe help build something or they might help with whatever else they do. Um, if it's a religious mission trip, they might be spreading the gospel, but a criticism I've had is that typically mission trips are expensive. And if you're an unskilled, if you don't have a specific skill you're contributing, it's not always worth it. It might be better to just donate that money. Let's say $2,000 could go a long way to donate 
to African people in Africa or whatever, as compared to going and being a 18 year old kid learning how to build a house. You know, the reason that I got excited about this one is because, um, since I got my license, you know, I'm a licensed architect now, I have a specific skill that I can contribute. Uh, so whenever I asked Taylor about it, I asked, Hey, do they need any architecture help? And, um, she said, let me ask. And so she put me in touch with the person there and, and we just got to talking about how they could use some help architecturally. So that's, that's kind of why I wanted to go because I want to be able to use the skills that I've developed to help people in need as well, which is, I think something that everybody should do. If you have any specific skills, it couldn't be even, I mean, architecture is a very specific thing. Dentistry is a very specific thing, but even if you're like a business person and you have like good skills in that way, I think that we should totally use our skills to help other people. And a good example of this is 80,000 hours. I think mm, I sent this yeah. in our group message a while ago. 80,000hours.org, I believe is a, website that has a ton of research on how people can use their skills, their specific job-related skills to help other people in need. The idea is in your career, you have 80,000 hours. That is the most impactful thing you'll ever do. And it obviously is a good thing to use your skills to help people in need. Um, I guess circling back to the Haiti trip, I'm excited to go on it because I'm excited to help people with my specific skill set. And just see what happens there. Hopefully it goes well. I really like that point on focusing on what you're skilled with to help people because then there's more direction on how you're actually helping people. Because obviously if you know, you're know you going on a mission trip and you're doing unskilled work, it doesn't like mean you're doing something bad necessarily. Some people might do it for more of an exaggerated appearance that they want to give off to people. But it is good to question yourself. Am I going on this mission trip for a me experience or am I going because I'm actually contributing and going to help people with the skills that I've developed in life? Exactly. It kind of comes back to that ego thing we were talking about a little bit earlier. It's so easy to get trapped in your own ego, but letting go of that and thinking, Hey, how can I actually help people? Uh, not just for myself, not so I feel better about myself as a human being, you know, cause we're all struggling with different mental issues and we all want to feel worthwhile and important, but actually thinking, okay, I'm comfortable with myself. So how can I use my skills in a way that is helpful to people and thinking about more about them and less about myself? Um, something I've been working on, I guess, over the past little while. Can you talk about the process of you getting to go on this mission trip? Elaborate. Um, like with your work and totally. Everything. Yeah. I'll talk about that. Um, cause I think it shows, um, a nice way to be resourceful and to show a bit of drive in, um, in a creative way. Totally. Yeah, I'll talk about that. I think that, so with this mission trip in, in particular, um, I heard about it from my friend Taylor and I got excited about it and I just wanted to see if I could do that. But realistically, I didn't have the PTO to take with my job and also I couldn't really um, afford to pay for it all on my own. And so I decided to bring it to my company. Um, and... I mean, it speaks a lot to the company I work for. The company I'm at right now is, is fantastic. I'm not going to say the name specifically, but it's really great and it's really open and they're open to ideas. Whereas I realize some companies are not like that, but something I'm really 
believe is that if you have an idea, if you get excited about something, just try it and see what happens, right? Put a little bit of effort into it, maybe two weeks, maybe more, maybe less, just see what happens and see like maybe you'll meet resistance and it doesn't work out, but at least try to do the things that you want to do. And so with this specifically, I came to my company and I said, hey, there's this opportunity. I think this would be beneficial for us as a company. And also it fits our core values. One of those core values is engaged to make a difference, which is again, why I like this company a lot. I said, this is a way we could actually make an impact. And I would like to go on this trip as a part of the firm, not as myself, but actually I want to do this together so that we as a company can stand by our core values and we can reach out and help people in need. Um, and I mean, they were the principles that I presented to you, they were supportive of that idea, which I'm, I'm really thankful for. And I'm excited to see what happens because now that means I have the resources of the company as well to, to do this, uh, not just myself. And again, the point I really want to emphasize is whatever idea you have, if you're excited about it, just try it, try to figure out, Hey, how can I make yeah. this work? And if, I mean, if the, if the firm said, no, we're not interested in this, that would have been fine. That would have been okay because at least I tried it and I met some resistance and it didn't work out, which is cool. But it did work out. So it just goes to show that there's no harm in trying. The worst thing that's going to happen if you try something and it doesn't work out is you get rejected. And that's fine because you just move on to something else because you're not tying yourself worth to that. You know, you're not married to this idea. You just want to see what happens and you present it to other people. And if other people are excited about that, then awesome. You guys can work together to make something really cool happen. But if you didn't try it in the first place, if you just thought, oh, they're never going to say yes, or, or if you just thought, oh, this is never going to work. I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this then you've already failed, you know? So it just goes to show that we should take action. Taking action is crucial because if you're always in your mind about stuff, then you're never going to actually influence something. You're just living in your own head. But whenever you take a step forward and actually act, you can see, hey, is this thing tangible? Is this feasible? And it goes with maybe you want to start a podcast, you know, like like you did, Reed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you could think about that all day long and think about how you're going to do it, but you need to take the action and buy the microphones. You need to take action and, and start learning about it. And not just learning, because learning is great, but you need to move past the learning and actually doing. Because once you start doing, you learn so much yeah, more. By putting yourself out there. By putting yourself out there. And that's a really scary thing to do. It's scary because you'll face rejection. People will say, what the heck are you doing? You're starting a podcast? Like, that's stupid. Yeah. You know how much competition there is or whatever. Like it doesn't matter because if you enjoy the process of it, you're doing it because you like it. You're not trying to get that renown or to be successful. You're not defining your success based on how, how it goes in the future, but based on the outcome. So I think all that ties together, you know, taking action and, and, and not being ego attached and enjoying the process and a lot of things we've talked about. That's such a great point. And to go back to what you were talking about with musical production and getting caught up in the idea of what you want your artistry to be, I guess, versus, you know, getting into the creative process. Um, it's so easy to fear failure a lot more when you're caught up in the idea or the end result of what you want, as opposed to if you're interested in the creative process, then you're a lot more willing to fail forward and fall on your face because you know that that's going to be how I guess you progress forward. Absolutely. Um, the failure thing, if you're embracing the process as compared to the outcome, you're actually not going to fail in your own terms because what you're doing, like your goal is not to make something that's successful, 
but your goal is just to improve and to, to and to do it and to learn. And so you will be successful. You're not going to fail in the same way, but, but I mean, embracing failure is critical as well because sometimes you'll put something out there and it just flops. Yeah. And it's the best. Yeah. That's the best, <laughs> right? You put something out there, it sucks. Or you look back on your, oh, and you're like, man. Oh, that was not very Get good. anxious about it. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, it's a really scary thing to do to put yourself out there in that way because people will criticize you. Um, and you just need to be, you have to say, fuck it. I'm not, I'm not, I guess, I'm not letting that define me. Yeah. Because um, that's not what you're going for, I guess. Exactly. And it's so interesting because the most successful people, that's where they all start. Or most of them. It's very rare that you have someone that's just crushing it out the gates. Oh, absolutely. And is that even what you want if you are crushing it out, out the gates? Because there's so much um, reward in learning from falling on your face. Totally. It's, it's funny because sometimes the people who actually are innately, incredibly talented in whatever they're doing actually don't succeed long term. Kind of interesting. Um, but if you have an innate mm. talent for something, you don't learn to work on your craft mm. because you're already good at that. But if you do... If you don't have that talent, if it doesn't come as easily for you, you learn to work really, really hard if that's what you want to do. And through that, you can succeed. Um, yeah, I think about my dad a lot with that. My dad is an artist. He's an iconographer. Um, and he didn't start painting until I think he was 22 or 23. Until that, before that, he literally never picked up a paintbrush, never did anything. He had a master's in engineering. He still has a master's in engineering, uh, but he finished literally mechanical engineering grad school. And then he was like, you know what? I want to be an artist. And he went to art school back in Ukraine. And the people he was with were actually were much, much better than him because he'd literally never done it. And he told me that, you know, he's successful today because he had a good work ethic. Not because he had that talent innately, but because he wanted to do that and he kept working on it. A lot of the people he went to school with are not nearly as successful as him because they didn't develop that. So it's really interesting. You know, it goes to, to say that you can do literally anything you want to Damn. as long as you have that drive. That's so impressive. I don't even know your dad that well, but just hearing that story is just so nice and refreshing because a lot of people think that once you hit a certain age, it's done, you know, like you're, you don't have that innocent child mind to keep learning, I guess. Yeah. I mean, nothing can be further from the truth. Of course, time is your greatest resource and you want to make good use of your time. But, but my dad is a huge inspiration to me for that, for the way that he, I guess, takes his art and the way that he works at it. Um, yeah. So Andre, you just turned 26. I'd say you're an extremely intelligent guy, not just logically, but artistically, even though you don't like being called an artist, emotionally, spiritually. I want to be called an artist, I think, but I just don't think of myself as one. Uh, okay. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, across the board, I'd say you're an intelligent, uh, well-rounded guy. What is your intention in life right now and why? Wow. Yeah. You're asking me my intention in life. Getting a little deep. That is a big question. Um, <laughs> I wish I knew. Uh, in a lot of ways, I still feel lost, kind of like that EP, um, trying to figure out exactly what I find valuable and how to best spend my time. Because, you know, your life is so beautiful. You have this amazing, incredible thing called life, and, and you have this gift to be alive. 
and you get to use your time and your talents in a way that is worthwhile. So I think about that a lot. How can I spend my time well? And not just sitting around like enjoying my own self, you know, comfortably, but but working at something and, and making something that's going to leave an impact on people, whether it be through some sort of creative endeavor like architecture or music, or just by living and like talking to people. Like that's so important too. Yeah. The way that you influence the people around you, um, like your friends and your family, and even strangers you meet on on the bus or like wherever or in the elevator or at the gym. Like you have an influence that you spread to other people, um, which I think is just so beautiful. So the original question, what's my intent right now? I don't exactly know. I'm still figuring it out. You know, I feel both really young and really old at the same time. But I want to do a few things. First of all, I'm just a curious guy. I really enjoy working at stuff and learning things, right? And then using what I learned to create more. And so that to me is exciting. So I want to create things, for lack of a better word, I guess, uh, that can influence people, both musically and architecturally. And with little things like here and there, like web design, I think is fun and, and programming, I think is fun and everything. So that's one, influence people with, with the work that I do, which is why I spend a lot of my time working at different stuff. And second of all, I just want to be a good influence to, to people. I want to, I want to be there for my friends. I want to be there for my, my family and my little sister who's growing up and my older sister who I love dearly. Um, and just, just be there, you know, if, if anything, first of all, if anything, like if they need anything, they can count on me. But second of all, just being a light in a way, um, to the people around me, saying things that are on my mind, being kind to people and, and maybe saying things that aren't like pleasing, maybe challenging people around you in a way. Challenging for sure. I think that's a really good point in itself. Just be, being somebody who's pushing people forward, um, but also being honest uh, you know, if I think something about a person, I want to be able to communicate that to them so that they realize like, Hey, if I see a good quality in a person saying that and, and letting them know like, Hey, you were noticed, you were valuable. Um, and I care about you and, and I spend time thinking about you because at the end of the day, everyone wants to feel important. We all want to be noticed. Mm -hmm. So anything we can do like that, just little things can go such a long way in somebody's life. Um, and you don't want to do it, you know, for your own ego as well, because then it defeats the whole purpose. You just want to be kind to people and love people for the sake of that. That's just so important. I think we could all do more of that. 100%. It's like the way I like to think about it is surrendering yourself to sort of like a, a higher intention that's above ourselves. And then you can live in alignment with that. And there's a lot of fulfillment in sort of just being that beacon of light for those around you, whether it's a driven expression or just everyday interactions. Totally. And I guess a question for you then, um, how do you think that... Ah, uh, fuck. I know, right? <laughs> Ooh, turn it back on you. Uh, how do you think that you do that? How do you maybe separate your ego from your your interactions with people and doing things not not for your own pleasing, but rather, or to make yourself feel better? How do you think that you you, you know, diminish your ego in everything that you do. Yeah. Personally for me, um, whenever I have too much of myself 
involved in my thought processes or my actions, like what I'm doing day to day, it just feels empty. It doesn't feel filled um, because it's so much of me and I feel alone inside of it. And there's a lot of merit to being a really honest person. So if you're honest to yourself within that, then you kind of come to this conclusion that it's about getting over yourself and releasing yourself to be a part of everyone around you too. So then you're not just seeing it as advancing me or like my intention. It's all of our intentions and you're a part of everybody within that. So, so that's how I think about it. So then it's kind of like you have a intertwined selfish and selflessness is kind of one in the same instead of being apart from one another because we're all united together, I guess. Dude, yes, uh, I love what you said. Two things there. First of all, the selfish versus selfless. Um, that's a really funny balance because you have to simultaneously in your own self-identity, you have to be selfish, meaning that you think about yourself and you don't let other people's opinion of you influence you because you are confident and you're internally validated, but also selfless because you don't want to be thinking about yourself too much. So it's this really funny yeah. balance, um, but it's, it's crucial to that. And the second thing you said that I want to touch on, the empty feeling in your chest. You and I have talked about that a yeah. lot, just you know, because we're friends to anybody listening on the podcast. <laughs> you know, Reed has been one of my best friends for the past few years. I don't know his last name. <laughs> uh, last name, Grigorenko. Honestly, sometimes I have a trouble saying my own name. It's funny. <laughs> Actually, I'll get, I'll get very, not self-conscious, but I just assume that people I meet don't really know my name or don't know how to say my name, even my first name, Andre, because I don't look like an Andre. That's also spelled weird. Your whole name's just spelled weird. It is. It's, it's funny. Um, anyways, uh, but that, that empty feeling in your chest is something that I've dealt with a lot. And it's funny because I'll feel that sometimes after I work really hard on something and then I release it and then I feel this emptiness, you know? And I think it comes from being from that ego. You know, if you're releasing music, if you're if you're working on stuff just to please yourself and to make yourself feel better, that is not going to be fulfilling in any way. Uh, but that I find that whenever I focus on other people more, I, I have a less of that feeling um, of emptiness. Some of the most, I think, self-fulfilling moments or even the moments that I've been maybe not proud, going back to that question that you asked earlier, some of the moments I felt just most filled was little things and conversations with friends where, you know, I'm honest about people and what I think about them and, and just saying, Hey, like you're a good friend of mine and this is why, and, or whatever. And, and then they reciprocate that and they say, Hey, thank you for noticing that. Mm. Uh, noticing other people like that leaves me really filled. Whereas doing things for myself leaves me really empty. So, and coming back to music as well, something I've been trying to do, with my music now as compared to my music then is to make music for other people as compared to myself. Um, and I'm still learning how to do that. But whenever with that first EP, I did that for myself. I did that because I wanted to express something I was feeling and hope that other people would relate to that as well. But the music I'm making now, I'm less interested in how it makes me feel. And I'm more interested in making something for somebody else. Mm. Um, our friend Vlad, I was talking to him a while ago and, and Charles as well, uh, we have a friend named Charles, both of them are DJs. And something that both of them have said is that, hey, with my DJing, I just want to make people dance. That to me nice. is such a great idea. Yeah. Such a great concept because you're not doing it just to become like 
renowned, but you're doing something to make somebody else feel a certain way. Uh, and I want to do that with my music as well. Maybe not make people dance because apparently I do a ton of sad boy shit. Um, <laughs> uh, but I want to I want to be better about doing things for others. And it ties to that Haiti trip as well. Like I want to be able to use my architecture skill set for other people. Um, so that was a long-winded uh, response to your question or to your answer. No, I love that. And something I like to think about is the distinction between kind of doing things for people and doing things with other people. Maybe I just get too caught up in that, those two word associations. Yeah, the word, yeah. Yeah, but it is nice because it kind of spells out that selfless, selfless and selfish kind of being one and the same, kind of like what you were saying that, you know, your proud moments are when you acknowledge somebody and they reciprocate and say, thank you for acknowledging that about me. Um, but it's not so much of you doing something that's inherently self-interested, which it is, but it's because you, you're, it's an exchange of being like a part of each other and yes. in that way. I think that's the, that's probably the most beautiful thing in life. And the thing that we all have to live for, or at least for myself is, are those connections. The connections that you have with people are so amazingly beautiful, whether it be a deep connection like a, a spouse or a parent or just somebody you meet on a trip. You know, like whenever I was traveling abroad a, a lot more than I am now, um, I would sometimes meet people and just we'd have a great time together for one day and then they would go their separate ways and so would I and I still remember them. You know, some people who have deeply influenced me are people that I don't, don't keep in touch with anymore and that's fine. But like the, if having true connections with people is such a beautiful beautiful thing. So that really gets me going. So you've kind of spelled out your, in, or I guess your lack of direction with your intention that you have right now, but you, ha you have a good sense of type, sort of the goodness that kind you want to spread into the world. Yeah. An intuition of and how I want to do things. Yeah. Are you satisfied with where you you are right now from an action standpoint? And are you satisfied with where you're heading within that action to reflect your intention? I think that I am satisfied. I think I think that I'm living my life well in in my own terms, uh, and I think I'm heading in the right direction. But I also feel this strong pressure, the strong urge to work faster and to and to progress faster, um, yeah. which I think is probably natural to have. Um, you were talking about feeling old and young at the same time. Is it kind of because you have that curiosity as though you're young, but you're getting old to where you're like, maybe I should start scaling this kind of thing. I think, yeah, that's a good way to sum it up with the old and young thing because I, I do feel, I feel like I have a lot of energy and I'm still very excited and curious and I hope to stay this way for the rest of my life. Um, but I also realize the limitations of time and, and at a certain point you do want to, for example, get married and I want to have a family at some point and um, those are also things on my radar, but, but time is our greatest resource, you know, so you have to use that well. So... To sum up, I think I am, I'm satisfied with the direction and the pace I'm going at, but I always think I could be doing more and working faster and better and being more efficient because I see other people doing it. You know, I see people that, that inspire yeah. me and they're at a different pace or a different level. And I think to myself, Hey, I want to be at that same level. Yeah. So it's a funny mix of like comparing yourself to others, but also, you know, being happy with your own pace. And, um, I'm not sure if I'll ever be totally content or satisfied with where I'm at. I hope I am, but that's also a part of the drive that keeps me going is I want, I want to influence people more. I want, I want to do more. I want to experience more. So how do you balance that? Cause 
personally, I struggle with that now. I used to not, I used to be like very internally validated, which I still am. But now I guess I can't help but kind of compare myself to people around me and say, okay, they're the same age as me. They're making so much more money and they're like expressing themselves outside of their day job with a side interest or, you know, growing something. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, how do you manage that comparison? Something that I sometimes helps me is thinking about growth as not being linear, but growth. Mm. Sometimes you'll work at something for a long time and you feel like you're not making any progress, but then suddenly there's a spike where you just get it and it makes sense. You know, Ah. like you've been working at, let's take music production, for example, learning how different synths work and learning and learning, um, like how, how to work a compressor well and how these effect chains are built and everything. And on the surface, it doesn't look like you've made much progress, but suddenly 100%. you've just elevated your level of performance so much. So that helps me a lot. Just thinking, you know, growth is not always linear and hopefully at some point in the future, there'll be a huge jump to where my, the stuff I'm putting out is actually reflective of the things that I know I've been working on. So that helps me with, with everything else as well. So like maybe if you're talking about making money or, or, or whatever it is, or expressing or yourself, accomplishing whatever. something and accomplishing, a, you're still growing always, you know? Yeah. And then suddenly that right opportunity comes and you can perform at the level you need to because you've been working on it up to this point. Dude, 100%. We're all on different timelines. So what's happening right now, like in the grand scheme of things, you got to think about life in the long term, And it's so crucial as you say it, to remind ourselves of right now before we achieve something great because then you can lose sight of yourself and you can not have as much humility and not be as humble as you were before. So that's why it's so crucial to appreciate this sort of growth and creative process phase and carry that with you, I guess, forever. Would you relate with that? Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And like what you said, you know, we're on different timelines. It's also important to know that People who might be really successful in expressing themselves or financially might be lacking in other areas of their lives. So think about you, specifically, you're um, doing really well in your career, you're married, you have a great marriage. Like comparing that to me, I'm like, I'm not in a serious relationship of any sort, right? And so like relationally, you're a big step ahead of me, but maybe in terms of me working on music and expressing yeah. myself in the way that I want to, I might be a step ahead of you. Yeah. Um, and that's okay because we're just, yeah. we have different things that we're working towards. And so as long as you're always improving and growing, have a growth mindset, you're still growing overall because life is not just one thing, you know? Um, think about all the incredibly, incredibly successful artists who have made a huge impact, but then they didn't know anybody, didn't, they weren't known and they were depressed and they had like a lot of serious problems in that, you know? So it's, it's a balance. We have to balance our lives and different aspects of it. So to kind of go off of that, you oftentimes talk about the importance of achievement in your life. Can you expand on why that's important to you? With achievement and accomplishment, I I do think about those things. Not maybe in the sense of I want to be known for that or I want to have those under my belt because it makes me more okay with myself, but rather because it gives me goals to work towards. Um, I really value the time that we have on earth. I, I think about that a lot and, and how much influence I can have. And those accomplishments and achievements keep me going forward. It gives me a milestone to work towards um, and something to be driven towards. And 
it's funny because I, as I said earlier, sometimes I'll finish something like an accomplishment. I don't, I don't even feel proud about it. Like I, I remember finishing grad school and being like, okay, whatever. But really mm. that's a big deal. Like I, I finished at a high performing level and I, and I got through it and I felt like I had a good balance through that. But I didn't really feel like that was something I was super proud of or I didn't, that didn't really hit me very hard. That's because I don't think I tied too much personal value to my accomplishments or achievements, but rather I set the next goal and I want to keep working towards that because I want to use my time well. I just don't want to waste the time that I have here on things where at the end of my life, I look back and I think, damn, I wish I did that or I wish I spent more time doing something else. Like um, that that really gets me going and, and drives me. That's really nice. So it keeps you accountable to keep progressing forward. And it's a really nice way to reflect your intention in an action because having a great intention is great. But if you're not doing something with that intention in your own way, then I guess the question is kind of like, why have the intention in the first place? Absolutely. That's really important as well to know why you're doing stuff. Like what are your motivators? Um, what's, what's, behind your drive yeah Um, sometimes people don't think about that sometimes i don't think about that sometimes i'll do something and then i realized i just spent like two months working on this and i don't even know why i did that (laughs) Uh, yeah i made an nft a little while ago because i was like that sounds cool i spent like two weeks doing it and then i finished it and i published it and i'm like that was stupid why did i do that i just Mm. wasted two weeks because i didn't i wasn't actually honest about the intention i was like i didn't think to myself why do i want to do this i just said i want to do this and i did it Damn, that's such a good point because you have to ask yourself, why do I identify with this? Like, yeah. Why does it mean something to me? I yeah, guess. because every time you, you spend time on something, you're making a trade-off. So you need to be, you need to be accountable to why, you know, to those trade-offs. You need to know like, hey, if I'm doing this, is because I believe in it or because I want to do it. And I realize that there's an opportunity cost. Yeah, it's also good to try something new like the nft thing and figure out okay no and be honest with yourself this isn't my identification because some people go a lot longer they try and make it work for like a year or two years and then it's like where did that time go totally yeah that for me was actually a two-week project i did it and i finished it and like yeah i think i wasted two weeks of my life um which is fine which is fine because (laughs) at least i know like hey i'm not interested in this and I, i can move on that's been a really big factor in how I identify what I want to work on. And we've talked about this before as well, but there's been a lot of things in my life that I've tried for a while and then realized, Hey, this is cool. And I am curious about it, but it's not something I want to dedicate my time to. Uh, A few specifics were writing. Uh, There was a period of time whenever I I wanted to write. And so I did that for maybe a couple of years, just like on and off. But then I realized I'm not super interested in the process of writing because it's it's not that fun to me. It's very lonely. It's very isolating. Same with programming, exact same thing. Uh, I took some programming classes in college and I learned a lot of programming languages on my own, but I just realized I don't like the process of doing it because you're alone in your computer. Even though the finished product is really cool, I don't really want to spend my time doing that. So that's just a good way to identify, like, what do you actually want to do? Trying it, spending some time. And then if you don't identify with it, move on. That's cool. Something I really admire about you is you don't talk about what you're doing until after you've already done it. Why do you feel naturally that's the way you go about things? I think that whenever you talk about something, it's really easy to get the dopamine hit you're looking for. You know, if you say, if you tell all your friends, hey, I'm working on this new app, you've already 
gain the reward. The reward is your friends think, whoa, this guy is working on a new app. That's awesome. But you haven't even done any of the work yet. Yeah. You know, if you put the work in, then you can show somebody, hey, I did this. And you've also deserved that. You've also like earned that, I guess, that praise for lack of a better word or, or, you know, just people, you've earned that reward because you've done it. I'm just such a big action guy. I think action is critical. A lot of people think about stuff, but they don't take action. And that's such a flaw because when you start taking action, you learn so much and you progress so much faster. But even if you're just researching, so many people get caught up in researching an idea and not actually doing that idea. Just start. Whatever it is you want to do, just start doing that thing um, because you're going to learn along the way. You're going to learn exponentially faster than watching YouTube videos or reading. Uh, but people are just scared of failure. Uh, mm. you know, and failing is totally okay. Uh, you know, Get out there and fail feel quickly, feel often with the, with singing, man, I'm telling you, I put those YouTube videos out. My voice was so bad, but I mean, it's just a quick way to fail and a quick way to, to, to move forward. I was going to ask if you had any stories of sort of like self-inflicted wounds that you put on yourself to share. And I guess singing would be that where you just like failed in front of everybody kind of thing. (laughs) And and it caused you to fix a lot of things. It did. Well, it made me grow really quickly. It was, again, it was so bad, but, uh, thankfully I had a few friends that were supportive of me doing that. Um, and they just kept pushing me forward. So if if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't have kept singing. I would have just given up, but they were still supportive of me, even though they probably knew I sucked. Uh, (laughs) and putting myself out there and going out and singing in front of people was embarrassing a lot of times because I couldn't hit the notes or this or that. I wasn't very confident. Um, but at least it helped me get better and it helped me get better quickly. But those friends who are supportive of me were critical as well. Uh, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have kept doing it. So support your friends, people, whatever they're doing, support your friends and whatever they do. I learned this from my, uh, my grad school roommate, Adam, uh, and he really, I remember a few things he said that really stuck with me. And he said, whenever I would talk about an idea or something, he just would say, yeah, you should do it. And I was like, what, what do you mean you should do it? <laughs> I would be like, yeah, I told him about this one idea I had for a, for like this, um, for artist card, which is something I still run. Uh, it's not very successful. I, I stopped marketing it. So it's kind of died down, but I remember talking to him about it and I was like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could share your music? quickly and I have this idea for like a like a digital business card for musicians and we were just talking about it over breakfast one day um and he was like that sounds like a great idea you should do it and I was like really and he said yeah just uh take the weekend and try to make it happen and I said okay and he gave me some he told me some tools that I could use which is Webflow like a no-code software that was super helpful which I eventually transitioned to Bubble also no-code software Amazing how much stuff you can do without coding. But him just saying that was was really big. Um, saying, just spend some time doing it. I love that as a key response because Alexis and I, my wife, we get in the trap of always saying, oh, we need to do this. And then the idea sort of just floats away. And then we come back to it a week later. Like we're running in circles trying to build up to the action instead of actually just doing it. Um, so that's such a key response that we can start saying to each other now is, yeah, let's do it. And you could say, let's, yeah, let's do it. And let's do it right now. Yeah. Like, hey, we're talking about it. Why don't we just, like, we're sitting on the couch. We have the rest of the afternoon free. Why don't we just do it right now? Yeah. And there's a lot of value in 
scheduling and writing a list. Let's of course. Write a list that we can check off on or let's put it on the calendar. Yeah, put it on the calendar. It's crucial just saying, hey, let's uh, put this on my to-do list and do it on next weekend when we do have time. All right, I want to wrap up with just a couple questions before we go. One that's crucial in all of our lives. What is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is um, a few things. First of all, this is kind of going to sound funny, but going to prison, <laughs> especially for something I didn't commit. <laughs> that's that like an suck. irrational fear, but <laughs> I feel like if I did that, then I wouldn't have all the resources that I do to do things I want to do. Uh, I, I guess at a larger scale, it's not going to prison, but it's actually being helpless. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest fear is being in a situation where I cannot improve my own standing, where I can't take my life into my own hands. Um, really scary for me. Ah, uh, yeah. Trapped. Yeah. Some of the worst feelings I've ever had in my life. I remember this actually pretty distinctly going to college. I mean, my parents didn't have a lot of money to, to send me to college, actually any money to send me to college. Uh, and I remember in high school, I really didn't try very hard grade wise. I just didn't find it super fun. I didn't find it very interesting. And whenever I applied to A&M, I was relying on a lot of financial aid and scholarships to get me to college uh, and through college. And I remember getting my first scholarship letter and they didn't give me as much money as I wanted to. And that was one of the most helpless, worst feelings I've ever felt in my life. Um, I remember I just went back in my room and I just sat in my bed and and I took a nap. I was so overwhelmed. I just had to like lay down and close my eyes and try to like disappear for a little bit because I was like, damn, I didn't, I feel like I'm in a situation where I'm helpless. Like, what if I don't have enough money to go to college or whatever? And thankfully, it worked out to where there's a lot of other scholarship opportunities that that did, you know, help me go to college. But yeah, being helpless is my biggest fear. Damn. So would you say you kind of unconsciously keep that in mind so that you create as much opportunity as you can for yourself? For sure. I definitely try to keep a balance of where I set myself up to where I have the resources to improve my own situation if I need to. I'm okay being in a place where I, you know, I have low resources or, or whatever, but knowing that if I need to get my shit together, I can, and I can improve my own situation through my own work. All right, so second to last question, where are you going? Maybe not a plan, um, but you know, like where are you driven toward over the next few years? Like what's next for Andre? Um, I guess that talks about long-term goals, but maybe condense it a little bit to, let's say the next five years, I guess, some type of gauge of where you're headed. Yeah. I want to do a few things. Um, right now I'm kind of in a process of setting myself up to do my own artistry work in the next five to 10 years. I definitely want to have my own firm and be doing my own work to where I'm independent and I have the autonomy to work in a way where that I think is is valuable and make decisions that I want to make simply because I want to make them. You know, uh, having that freedom and autonomy to me is really crucial. Um, and so I think that's where I'm, I'm headed towards. I'm, I'm trying to set myself up to where I have the freedom to do whatever I want to and to to take action on ideas I think are fun or interesting. Uh, and that means financially setting myself up, uh, relationally setting myself up, also skill-wise, building up skill sets that are, that are going to be crucial. That's, I think, the overall overarching thing. I'm not sure where music's going to go. I think I'm going to keep doing it because I enjoy doing it. Uh, I'm not sure how long I'll keep doing it. Um, 
But long-term, I want to be in a place where I can do whatever comes in my head. Like if I have some crazy idea, I want to be able to take action and work on it and just see what happens and not be tied to, you know, obviously you have to make enough money to survive and all that. So yeah. not be tied down or not be limited in my options. That's where I'm going. Nice. And that goes hand in hand with your biggest fear. <laughs> Very <laughs> so much. <that's> great. <laughs> Very much so. Awesome, man. Well, appreciated the time today. Thanks for being the very first confidently anxious guest. Um, Such a good time. So much fun. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, where can people find you? If anybody wants to connect with me, reach out. I'd be happy to talk and, and chat and whatever else. Um, I guess on my Instagram, I'm not sure how to uh, put that out there, but I'm not sure if you have show notes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was on that level. Ah, <laughs> oh, dang. Put that in the description. But um, yeah, yeah, my Instagram is probably the best way to do it. You can just find me, Andre underscore like the giant. But Andre is spelled kind of weird. A-N-D-R-I-Y. Put that in the show notes. Get some show notes, read. Yeah, Spotify um, too. I would love to connect with people. Yeah, my Spotify right now is like the giant. If you want to listen to some music, plan to put more stuff out there. Or just reach out in whatever way. I have you talked to anybody who, who reaches out. Um, I think that's critical. So Nice. All right, cool. Dude, this has been such a good time. I'm really excited to see where this podcast goes. Um, the Confidently Anxious thing is, is a great concept because, uh, I mean, all of us feel that way. All of us are really anxious. We're insecure. We have, we're depressed at times. We're sad or we're happy or whatever. Um, and... I think it's great to talk about that sort of stuff and to be open about mental health and to be open about, you know, what drives us and also what scares us. Um, so really excited to see where this goes and, uh, thanks for being the host. Damn man. Really appreciate that. I'm also excited to see where it goes and, um, it is crucial in this day and age, you know, showing the art of conversation, how to unite together in the most raw form of communication. Yeah. So. Just being open, being vulnerable and, and, and letting yourself letting yourself be, be shown honestly and truly. So Yeah, honesty, that's such a great point. So that it can kind of keep us accountable in a way, but in a way that builds us up instead of just critiques the entire time. Totally. And it goes to like what we've been talking about this podcast with with ego and also being selfish but selfless at the same time, right? Because you want to be self-secured and and um self-secure in your own like identity but also to like where other people don't really influence your perception of yourself but you also want to be empathetic you want to connect with people and so you want to be open to that so this is super funny balance uh of being uh, like how we see ourselves yeah to be vulnerable yes click well that's that <laughs> cheers cheers Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in staying tuned to the Confidently Anxious brand, feel free to check out the website, confidentlyanxious.co. My Instagram is at readcast, believe it or not. And you can listen to the episode on other platforms that I'll put in the show notes. Thanks.